Please pause for an important directive from Dr. Morgenstern, Chief of Surgery at County General Hospital. This episode contains heavy themes and serious content. Listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real-life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you. Welcome back to ER Debrief Podcast, where two emergency room nurses discuss the hit 90s TV show ER. We are your hosts, Melissa and Julie, and today we are talking about episode 19 of season two. Hey, hey. Melissa, what's up? <laughs> oh, not much, but that, what is, Ooh. was up from like the 2000s? <laughs> 2000s, what's up? <laughs> uh. I never was really on board with it. What, are, what were your thoughts about that? No, me neither. I think I tried to say it a couple of times and it just doesn't fit my like, world very well. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I didn't, I know like my dad will sometimes still do it from time to time. It's <laughs> awesome. Like, Nice, Dad. Thanks. What's up? What's up? I think we should bring it back. No. Please, no. <laughs> no. Oh, that's too great. Uh, I don't even know what started that. We should probably find out. I want to find out now. Yeah, yeah how did that get going? There? It must be from something. Um, it must be. Like from it must, a TV yeah, I mean, show. It's or... some TV show. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Crazy. Uh. Hey, everybody. Um, present Melissa, future Melissa here. I just wanted to give you a little bit of history of what's up and where it came from. So I was looking into it, and apparently it started from a short film called True. It was written and directed by Charles Stone III, and it features Stone and several of his childhood friends, Fred Thomas, Paul Williams, Terry Williams, Jimmy Perez, and Kevin Lupton. The characters basically sit around on the phone screaming or saying what's up in a really distorted way into the phone to each other. And it's hilarious. The short was popular at a number of film festivals around uh, the United States and eventually caught the attention of creative director Vinnie Warren and art director Chuck Taylor, who worked for a Chicago-based ad agency called DDB. They ended up taking the short to the president of Budweiser and Charles Stone was actually signed to Budweiser to direct a commercial for them based off of that short film. It's fantastic. You can watch them on YouTube very easily. Just Google True uh, by Charles Stone III and you'll be able to watch the original video. You can also then Google the Budweiser commercial. It's great. I just watched them. They're really funny. They've actually, Budweiser has done subsequent videos through the years. The original 
commercial aired from 1999 until 2002. And since then, they've done a number of updates. Uh, they did a quarantine one. They did a technology one where, like, Alexa and uh, your computer and everything are telling each other was up. It's really quite cute and well done. I didn't realize that this is kind of where it all started. So definitely check them out. I'll try to link some of the, at least the original video and maybe the original ad in the description below and on our social media when we release the episode. But I thought you guys would kind of be interested in that. This is the origin of what's up. All right, back to the show. How was your week? Oh, it was good. Yeah, I had a busy week. I was doing a lot of stuff for other people this week, which makes me feel good. So, you know, self-esteem is high. That's nice. Uh, That's good. Making like a retirement book for somebody that we used to work with that's retiring. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good week. That sounds like a good week. It's nice to help people create retirement books. Yeah, a lot of like crazy things. So, yeah, so I've been busy, (laughs) but uh, but it's been good good yeah what about you what have you been up to what have I been up to well just work um mostly working I feel like it's been a busy week but then I actually don't really know what it is that I was doing you know (laughs) yeah I think (laughs) I think one thing that I've learned about living here is that um and I don't think I really quite appreciated it because when you're when you're traveling somewhere so when I've come to visit London in the past I love taking transit and I still do, but it's like, oh, it's fun to go on the tube and it's fun to like go on the double decker buses and whatever. And it's still fun for me. However, the commute, the like hour commute into the hospital, oh. um, it's like from door to door an hour, like walk 20 minutes, get on the tube and then walk a couple of minutes. It's, it's fine. And it's nice. You can listen to podcasts. You can read, but the commute is taxing. Yeah. It's tiring, I think, just because the tube is kind of loud. Like there's lots of screeching. So you're kind of like trying to listen to your podcast or trying to listen to your music or whatever. And then there's just lots of people and you're in a rush. Everybody's in a rush. So oh. and then, you know, like it's kind of nice while, you know, I do like not having to drive, but I, I kind of like driving. But it's just nice to just sit there and enjoy, you know, your your commute and not do anything. But it is nice at the end of the day after a shift to, like, sit in a quiet car with nobody around you and just drive home. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Just to that have is that, nice. like, alone time a little bit, right? Like, to decompress. Yeah. yeah I like my drive to and from work because it's, like, just my time and I can – yeah, listen to a podcast or do whatever. Yeah, I would struggle with that, I think. And, like, if you have to go meet yeah. your friends, it's like, okay, well, now I've got to, like, how long is this going to take me to get there? And, like, yes, yeah, I need to consider exactly. what I'm wearing, not just because I want to look cute, but, like, I also want to be warm or cold or whatever for the weather. Yeah. yeah like, yes. I Yeah, I think I would struggle with that. Especially because, like, here, we drive everywhere. Like, it's yeah. if you don't have a car here, it's very difficult. Um, yes. So yeah. Well, that would be tough. Yeah. Even in the cities, I'd say even in like big cities in Canada that have a relatively good public transit system, 
people still largely drive, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you're kind of staying in the downtown core. But mostly I think people drive in Canada and here people drive too, for sure. It's, it's always very busy, but yeah, the, I think it's just the commute that gets really tiring. So then by the end of the week, I'm like, wow, I'm wiped. Yeah. What did I even do? Cause I guess, you know, I go to work and then I also go to the gym after work. So then I have to bring all my stuff. Mm. And then if I'm going out, like say I'm meeting friends for drinks or something after work, then I'm like, got to bring my makeup, bring a change of clothes, different, oh you know, whatever. God. It just ends up being <laughs> a big production. And then I'm like, and then like, how am I going to get home? Because sometimes the tubes and the buses don't run at the same frequency as they do during the day. Mm. So it's just like a lot of, you know, planning. thinking, planning, planning is, yeah, not thinking. It's a lot of planning, but it's still fun. I'm still having a great time. It's just, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, I'm tired. Yeah, it's I'm just tired, a transition, but... right? Like it's a different kind of lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Different pace. That's crazy. But it's still great. You have to like get like a duffel bag that you carry around everywhere. Or like Seriously, a... I carry like I wear a big backpack for yeah. like my lunch, water bottle, coffee, oh, like geez. everything goes in there. Change of it's clothes, like workout big... clothes. Change yeah. of clothes, workout clothes, like the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yesterday I went to this really awesome whiskey bar in Soho and it's called The Vault and push through this bookcase and there's a speakeasy in the bottom. Oh, it was so cool. amazing. Oh, that's cool. It's so amazing. I mean, I, lots of, it's a really popular place. So a lot of, if anybody here is from London, you'll probably know about it. But yeah, it's, it's really, they have a lot of really cool speakeasies here. There's one place called the Breakfast Club, I think. And you walk through a fridge, you like open the fridge door and then there's a staircase through. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's super So you cool. and I will have to go. If you ever yes. come to visit, yes. we'll have to go. Oh, to I want things. to so bad. Yeah. Yeah. We were It'll talking. Be fun. And then we'll do all the Harry Potter things. Yay. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go and do all the Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen The Cursed Child yet? No. No, I haven't. Okay. When you come, which will hopefully be in the next year. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> We're going to go see Cursed Yay! Child. Yay! Did you go see it? I have seen it once. I would see it again in a heartbeat. Yeah? Okay. Okay. It Deal. was so good. Oh, I'm I so excited. I would pay excited. money to see it again. Oh, I want to see it so bad. It's so, so good. What you should do is find out when you can buy tickets and then just plan your trip around when you can get tickets because mm. the tickets are kind of tough to tough. get. They sell out really fast. Fair enough. Okay. But yeah. Get tickets and then plan your trip. Yeah. Oh, man. That'd be so good. <gasps> and we'll good. go to Warner Brothers Studios. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, I want to go so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to so do all the Harry Potter things. Like, just literally, I'm okay if that's all I see. <laughs> like... Oh, my gosh. We'll find so much stuff to do. There's a few walking tours that you can do on your own that bring you to, like, locations oh. where they filmed in London for, for Harry Potter. So. Oh, that'd be so great. Oh, that'd be so great. We're going to have a great time. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to come out because I I was actually talking about this at work the other day because people were saying, like, where if you could travel right now, like, where would you travel? And I was like, honestly, I'm not a big traveler. It's just not a thing that I'm like, it's not in my DNA to love travel. And I know that I'm like going against our whole generation by saying that, but it's just not my thing. No, I'm a homebody. I like yeah. my house. I like staying at home. But yeah. the places that I need need to go are London, New York, yeah, 
and yes. Disney. <laughs> like I need to do the Disney. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yes. yeah, that's yes. what we should totally yes. do. I would love to come to London, and then we have to go to Disney at some point. Oh my god, yeah. that would be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely love that. Yeah, it'd be so. Fun. I really want to go to Disney. Well, the thing is, yeah, I want to go to Disney World with you so that we can go to Harry Potter World. So that's like yes. my number one. Absolutely. And then we can do everything else in there. But I totally. definitely want to go to Harry Potter World. Yes, yes, we definitely have to do that. Yeah, because it's so incredible. It's like being in the movies. Like you're just like what? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh, are we gonna have to get into blogging? Vlogging. Vlog. Yes. Make, <laughs> yes. Make YouTube videos about this. YouTube videos about our trips. Yeah. Harry Potter world. I love oh. it. I love it. Yes. Welcome to my channel. <laughs> Please <laughs> click the subscribe button. Yeah. It's Melissa and Julie. <laughs> and it's going to be like such a millennial production too because there's so much. Like people are so good at vlogging. and Right. <laughs> I feel like you would be good at vlogging. I don't know. I don't know. You I would think... be good at it. Is that going to be your new obsession? No. <laughs> no more obsessions for me. <laughs> oh, but we love the obsessions. We love the obsessions. I need to so settle much. it down with the obsessions. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll just continue with the current <laughs> obsessions, like the ukulele and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You'll just have to keep us updated on your current obsessions and we'll do how they're evolving. Yes, sounds good. I just finished yeah. another series of romance novels. Speaking of <laughs> obsessions, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell us. Tell us about it. Um. Oh, it was so good, <laughs> Julie. I was like completely engrossed in this latest little like trilogy. Um. I've still been yes. reading from the same author. Lexi Ryan, still love her. Um, I tried to read one from a different author and I was like, ah, this is not what a romance novel should be, which is just like totally my limited perspective because I've only read from one author. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, so I just have been keep continuing to read her series. So I'll just read all of her books and then I'll figure out something else. But, uh, but yeah, it's she's so good. Like the stories are so good. I just I'm just oh, it's amazing. So now I'm starting another one of her uh, series. So I'm super excited about that. But I also got one of my coworkers is so I, if you guys have listened to previous episodes, the reason that I got into this was from a Facebook ad that led me to a app that I then had to pay for like each chapter and it was getting very stressful. Right. So yes. this lady at work, cause I told everybody at work, like on my night shift that I was obsessed with this and that I was really scared yeah. that it was going to take all my money cause I wasn't going to be able to stop reading and I was going to have to keep paying. So anyway, yes. so everyone at work was laughing at me. Like they thought it was just the funniest thing ever, which it absolutely was. And <laughs> so I, like made it very clear to them, like, don't ever do this. Like, don't ever get stuck in this. And then realized that I could just buy the books for much cheaper on Amazon. So anyway, so I told them this whole story. But for some reason, that prompted one of my coworkers to also get stuck in this. So 
<laughs> so she was reading this one of them on Facebook, one of the ads on Facebook. And she was like, oh, this is really good. And yeah. so then she downloaded, it was a different app, but a similar idea. So she downloaded this app and she started like continuing to read it. And then she started paying for the chapters. And I was like, girl, like, didn't you learn anything from my story? Like, don't do this. And then, <laughs> so. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out, because then she's like, okay, well, Melissa, can you look up this book? Like, I can't find it online. Can you see, like, if I can purchase this somewhere else? So I started, like, investigating it. And this specific story that she started reading it's not a book it's just this girl who like and I mean this author or whatever has she's really young but she has other books that are actually published but this story is not published it's just her writing on this app thing so it's endless so like the last I checked in with uh, my coworker is she's on chapter like 900 and something crazy. So this book just never ends. Like what? Because this author is still writing. Like she just every once in a while will like write new chapters. So there's like thousands maybe of chapters. We have no idea how long this is. And I just I like said to her or to my coworker, I was like, like, how is the story even still going on at this point? Like, I just don't even understand how they've, how she's stretched this story yeah. out this long. And she's like, I don't either. But it's I would give up. so good. Like, she's just completely obsessed. So she no longer pays for it. She stopped doing that. But if you wait an hour, then the next chapter gets released. So if you wait it out, you can just keep reading but you can't like read them continuously unless you pay. So anyway, so I check in with her every shift, like how many, what chapter are you at? And like the last I checked in with her, she was at like 950 something. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> how is this author doing this too? Like, oh I don't gosh. know. Like, like I am this close this to starting the book. Cause I'm just so curious how on earth, this story is still going on at chapter thousand. Like, I don't know. But I also don't want to get trapped in this because I know that I'm not patient and I won't wait the hour for the next chapter. I will pay for it. So I just, I can't, I can't start it. it just, there's no way. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah. Has she told you what's it about, what it's about? or She has all? kind of told me it's like uh, clearly a love story between these two people. And there's like, all this drama that has happened like there was like a baby I think and it was like her it was not the guy the guy wasn't the dad or something and then there was a drama with wow. this other guy and yeah I don't know and so I think it just like keeps continuing like the drama keeps continuing but okay I'm really not sure or if maybe there's like other love stories that happen I'm not sure exactly what's going on I think it's a really hard story to explain because it's literally, she's on chapter 900. Like, it's like, so complicated. Is it like now they're children that they're learning that they're, she's writing about? Like 900 <laughs> chapters? Oh my god! Right? Like these people surely aren't alive anymore, these characters. No, right? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I don't know. That's I'm crazy. not sure exactly how the story is unfolding, but it's blowing my mind. 
So, yeah. Wow. But, so just, like, a warning. Like, don't get stuck in these. Like, don't start these. <laughs> like, if you're going to start reading romance novels, just buy the book and read the book. Because <laughs> like, otherwise, <laughs> it's going to be bad. Oh, man. Noted. Anyway. I don't know that romance novels are really my thing. But, you know what, <laughs> I'll just take that as a, like, don't get involved or else you'll become obsessed. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll heed your advice. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> anyway, we should probably get into the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so this episode is titled Fire in the Belly. It was written by Paul Manning and directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala. It aired on April 25th, 1996. A brief synopsis of the episode. Weaver allows a videographer to document ER procedures as a study guide to review afterwards. Green and this videographer uh, share a little bit of a romantic evening together. Benton's misdiagnosis of a cancer patient lands him in hot water with his colleagues and Dr. Hicks. Dr. Carter competes with a new surgical intern, Dale, and Carter's childish behavior leads, leads to Harper breaking up with him. Chloe gains visitation rights with little Susie or Susie Jr., that's it. Susie Jr. Yeah. So first scene uh, we get to see is Carol and Shep waking up together. So I guess we got a drink. Ah, drink. Cheers. I don't have a drink. <laughs> I have a candle. <laughs> and Shep is trying to convince Carol that she should skip work and hang out with him. And... I don't know, is it just me or are we super shocked that Shep and Carol are still together after all this time? I'm very shocked. Like that it's turned into such a like long-standing yeah. relationship. Yeah. So shocking. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are and Absolutely. they're in bed and and he wants her to call in sick and she's like no I can't because I can't skip hours or I can't I need the hours or whatever she says so then we are brought to the hospital and Peter is supposed to scrub it on a surgery but the attending won't work with Peter because word has gotten around that he betrayed a colleague regarding the case last week where he told a patient about the tumor that was missed by Doug on the x-ray and everybody is avoiding him and what is it, Dr. Hicks? She's kind of like, uh, you betrayed somebody and people know about it. Right. And now people don't yeah. like you for it. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot bigger of a deal than I was expecting, yeah. to be honest. Like, the surgeons won't operate with him. Like, yeah, it's kind of yeah. crazy. It's a big deal. But... Ooh. I guess I don't really get why that would, I mean, I get why it's a big deal, but I also think people could probably understand that, like, it's important to notify patients when these mistakes happen. Yeah, it just seems a little extreme for, like, like the consequences have been kind of extreme for what he actually yeah. did. It's, like, not completely crazy that he did that. Like, yeah, I don't know, but. Not good for Peter. Carter and Harper have plans tonight. Carter has purchased tickets and he wants to surprise her. And he basically just tells her, like, wear something nice. And she's like, okay, cool. And then they're chatting about that at the desk. And then one of Harper's old friends turns up and 
His name is Dale, and he looks really familiar. I think that he's on The Wedding Singer, isn't he? Yeah, that is actor. He? I'm pretty sure he's on The Wedding Singer. He's his. Remember, his name is Gulia, Julia, oh, okay. Gulia. This uh, Julia's marrying. Oh, I think he, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. him. Yeah, he d- definitely looks. He familiar. always plays kind of like slimy characters. Yeah, like yes. assholes, yes. right? Like, anyways, so. He comes up and Dale and him have like this, or Dale and Harper have this very flirtatious energy between them. We find out they went to college together. Carter is standing right there as they're like giggling and laughing. And he's like, ah, and it's super (laughs) awkward and also really funny. And Dale, like Carter's asking Dale questions and Dale is answering all of the questions while looking at Harper the entire time. It's very, very creepy and weird. And it's clear that he's, like, got the hots for her. And then we find out later that they never dated because Carter's like, I'm picking up on this this weird flirtation between you two. And I want to know more about it. And Harper's like, yeah, we never dated, but we did, like, sleep together once. And he's like, okay. So um, throughout the episode, there's sort of this back and forth kind of competition between Dale and Carter. And when they're all talking there, Dale is kind of talking about how he's doing all these different surgeries. And he's sort of speaking about them as like kind of small and insignificant things, whereas Carter is like really wanting to get in on a lot of these procedures because he's doing his sub-eye in surgery. He's like hasn't done an appendectomy. He hasn't done any of these sort of minor things that Dale has done. And I think he kind of starts to feel a little bit insecure about his journey as a doctor. And so you can kind of see this playing out throughout this, throughout the episode, um, feels intimidated and especially feels intimidated in his relationship with Harper and him. And then There's this moment, and I don't really understand what happened, but basically the three of them are deciding where to go for lunch. He sends them down to go to this one area, this one cafeteria. Then instead of going with them, Carter goes pick up patients and do procedures. Is that what happens? Right. He, like, sets up this trap, basically. Like, he hears about the patch coming in that Jerry's taking with this trauma, and so then he's like, he asks yeah. Doug if he can run the code because he's trying to like prove himself or whatever. And Doug is like, well, I actually promised Dale that the next code he could run. So Carter then like goes to have mm-hmm. lunch, like set up lunch with Dale and Harper and like takes him to the cafeteria. And he tells, before he leaves, he tells Jerry to page him in 10 minutes. Right. So, and the trauma or whatever's coming in in 15 minutes. So then they're in the cafeteria and he gets the page from Jerry and he like makes up that it's like a page about some lab yeah. work that he was waiting for and that he needs to go and get that or whatever. And then like yeah. comes back and ends up like running the code because Dale's not there because he's in the cafeteria. It's really slimy. Super slimy. It's really slimy. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. the code comes in and he's asked to run this code instead of Dale doing it. And like, you know, from the get-go, he doesn't really do a great job. Um, he doesn't really delegate tasks very well. Um, usually the head doesn't delegate the tasks, but the head just needs to know who's doing what. So typically amongst the nurses, the nurses decide who's going to do what. So where we worked, for example, there was just a designated 
assignment that was the charter. So they would have an assignment in the department. And then when they heard that there was a code coming in, they would come into the code room and they would be the charter. And so that's all they would do would just log everything that's happening. And then there's two other code nurses who one has an assignment, but they're kind of extra in an area and the other one is a complete float. So they're just completely like available when a code comes in. And between the two of them, one of them will decide like, okay, I'm doing life pack and, you know, other things. And then the other one will do meds or something like that. You kind of just decide amongst yourselves. And then whoever's the head, which is usually the physician, just needs to know who's doing what so that they can speak to that person directly. Like, can we get this much of epinephrine or whatever? But in this code, Carter just (laughs) is like, you do this and you do this and they're all kind of like okay like that's not really how okay fine and then he's delegated all the tasks and they get to the end and he's like hey who's gonna do the catheter and everyone's like well you've divvied up all of the the things to do so i guess you're doing the catheter and then i guess but then dale was there (laughs) wasn't he yeah then Then they they arrived arrived. like then is he they must have paged dale or something um, when the person came yeah. in. So then he but, delegates uh, the catheter to Dale, which is kind of yeah. funny. Yeah, it was super yeah. weird. I agree with you. It was super weird that he was like telling the nurses what roles they should be doing. Well, that's not exactly no. how it works. Like the nurses just decide what roles they're going to be yeah. doing. And usually that's already been delegated by their yeah. roles, right? Like that's just how, how it goes. It so that when you're running into a code, everybody knows what exactly. your role is, right? Like without having to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was super weird. I just was like, oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. Just like trying mm-hmm. to show up. It was just so cringy. So badly. And usually the doctors do yeah. the same as well. Like I find in this show, there's so many doctors in there that are all calling shots. Whereas in real life scenarios, there's one doctor and usually another one who will intubate. They'll be at the head of the bed and then they'll be there as like kind of a consult with the other doctor so that they can bounce ideas off each other and whatnot. But it seems like in ER, there's a lot of doctors making a lot of calls. It's like you just. Yeah. And like surgery is involved in way too many codes in ER. Like this is just not what happens. Like you don't have surgical residents just like hanging out in the emergency department a lot. Never. It's just not how it goes. Never. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so so funny. And then they realize after their resuscitative efforts. (laughs) Well, actually, I guess they're not that far into the code, but they're like, hey, maybe we should get the report from the medic. And they're like, oh yeah, downtime was like two hours ago. (laughs) And the patient is dead. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think it starts with like, their sats are like 40% or something. And like, Carter's like, oh, that's very low. (laughs) And then they start investigating more. Like, how long was this person down? Like, I don't know, long, long time. So it's just like, oh, it looks like they've been dead for like two hours. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess we should probably call the time of death. And then Carter was like, yeah, I'll call it. (laughs) He calls the time of death. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Brutal. <sighs> and actually, this case ends up being really sad because this was the gunshot victims in it. Yes, yeah, yeah. They also learned that the son of the patient was brought in by another crew. And the story with them is that he heard his mother and the boyfriend fighting in the morning. And now he's, like, not talking. And 
Doug goes to check him out. His name is Jeremy. He's trying to get information from him, but he's like, he's, you know, in shock. So he's not going to talk. Then later a detective comes in to interview him. And also like, shouldn't a child have like some sort of guardian or someone with them when they're being interviewed by police? I think, yes, technically, but I do think, like, I mean, just from my limited experience in situations, like, similar where police are trying to interview somebody, I don't think that they're always very careful about it because they're just trying to get the information as fast as they can, which is not a bad thing because they are investigating things, but they're not, I don't know. I don't know with, like, little kids like this kid if it would be, like, illegal yeah. to interview him without a guardian. Well, I think that the... The issue is, I'll have to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure that defense lawyers can have that evidence kicked yeah. out of the case. That would make sense. If the child, yeah. yeah. So it would be inadmissible mm. if the child says something that's really important to the case and they don't have a lawyer or somebody with them, then they can get it thrown that out. That makes sense. That that. Yeah, that sounds right to me too. Yeah, that would be Yeah. That would be reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that's here neither here nor there. It's just always a really sad thing to me when like a child is by themselves and there's an adult whom they don't know that's trying to get information from them in a really vulnerable totally. time. Totally. And like it just feels yeah, wrong. And Doug is right. Like Doug comes rushing in when he finds the detective there. And he's just like, do yeah. you understand? Like, he is in what shock. What are you doing? He's been through yeah. a traumatic event. And you could set him back, like, months by traumatizing yeah. him so quickly. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So then later, Jeremy goes missing briefly. And they're trying to find him. And they find him. This part was so, so cringy oh, and so yeah. sad. This must be hours later. And they find him staring at his mother's body, which isn't covered. Yeah. She's got a tube in her mouth. She's got blood all over her clothes. They haven't even shrouded her yet. Yeah. And she's just laying in the open. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this, this is... is so bad. Like. And not only, like, is that traumatizing for this boy, but for anybody who walks by that body. <sighs> totally. Totally. Like, it's absurd that they are doing like, this. Like, what the heck are you guys doing? Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, this is ridiculous. She's still laying on the stretcher. Her eyes are open. It's like, no, not, not good. Well, you'd never just Seems leave very careless. a body like that. Like, if it was... Never. If, if you were super busy in the department and you had, like, another code come in, and you just didn't have time to, like, clean her up and shroud her and all of that stuff... You would still put her in, yeah. like, a closed-off area. I mean, in our department yeah. anyway. Like, we have, like, a body-holding room that doesn't have windows. You can't access it. Like, it's a swipe card access for us to get in there. Yeah. And I would assume that most emergency departments have, like, a very similar setup. Like, somewhere where you would store a body if you needed to um, for a period of time. Yes. Yeah, it's kind yes. of, yeah. It's awful that they just have her. So even if the child hadn't seen her, you're right. Like, it's awful for anybody walking by. Anybody walking by. And I was thinking, like, okay, maybe they're, you know, preserving everything the way it is for the Emmy. Right. Or for, like, you know, an investigation. You can still cover the body. Absolutely. Exactly. Like, come on. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So it turns out in the end, the boy saw his mother. So sad. The boy saw his mother's boyfriend beating her up. And he got out his gun or he got out like the gun that I don't know if the mom had it in the house or if it was the boyfriend's and tried to shoot the boyfriend, but shot his mom instead. And that's why he was. Yeah. That's why he was so. Just awful. Oh, so heavy. Just awful. And unfortunately, this is stuff that happens with very loose gun laws. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like. I just, I don't understand a household. Like, I just can't get my head around a household that has a child and a gun. I just, yeah. there's no scenario where I think that that's a good idea. Like, I just, yeah. Yeah, completely agree. It's just never wise, yeah. ever. Even if you have, like, a gun safe and you do all of the safety things, like, there's always times where you're going to be rushing you're going to not lock the safe properly or there's going to be some kind of I left the gun out for a second while I went and grabbed something else. And, yeah, now, you know, like there's just it's not safe. <laughs> if you don't have the gun there, then that's safe. <laughs> like I just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So earlier in the story, we hear that Jeannie and Peter are talking about a patient named Mrs. Mendoza and she was in for abdominal pain. They didn't find anything. Jeannie had consulted Peter about her case. She had come in with right lower quadrant pain. Um, She had no rebound tenderness and they were querying appendicitis, but she didn't have any factors at the time that Peter felt like she was at risk for appendicitis. And he said to Jeannie, like, yeah, she can go home. Um, And she ends up coming back with excruciating right lower quadrant pain and she's not doing well. And She needs to go to the OR right away to get an appendectomy. And as Peter was walking the patient through to the elevators, he looks back at Jeannie. As Jeannie did everything she was supposed to do, but Peter was the one who decided not to go see the patient. And he looks back at Jeannie and he gives her this, like, what were you thinking? And I was like, dude. Yeah. She's not a surgeon. She consulted you. She asked you. And she's a PA. Exactly. Like, you are the most responsible practitioner. Exactly. So, and, like, you know, I know that, like, Peter's been through a lot. And he's, like, worked really, really hard to get where he is. And he's very principled. But, like, man, he just is bothering me. And, like, well, he redeems himself a little bit. But he was really bothering me in this episode. Where I was like, you are just on your high horse here. What I thought of when this happened with Peter, it's like there are people that we work with, you know, like nurses, different healthcare workers. But I'll talk specifically about nurses because that's who we work with specifically. There are just these nurses that hold everybody to an impossible standard. Like there are just people that are always on your case, always like, you know, you should do it this way and that way. And they hold everybody else around them to this standard, but they can't actually meet that standard themselves. Yes. And that's kind of like Peter, I think. I think Peter holds everybody to this impossible standard that he can't even meet. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think this was the first time where I was like, you know, I get why people are pissed at him for calling out Doug yeah. last episode. Because, like... yeah. This is an area where he, again, has made an error. It's his fault. 
And like, yeah. sure, maybe you could partially say Jeannie, but it's his fault. Like he should have looked at the patient himself. He was lazy yeah. and he just trusted Jeannie's assessment and he decided mm-hmm. to write it off. And he might have sent them home anyway if he'd examined um, this patient. Exactly. But like he can't take responsibility yeah. for this error. Like I'm just yeah. like – you make everybody else responsible for their errors, but you can't take responsibility for your own. Like, I just, I don't know. It just reinforces yeah. what Mark said last episode, right? Like, you're using exactly. Dr. Vuslich's thing, like, the thing you had with Dr. Vuslich, and you're pissed off that you couldn't come clean, and then now, and so you tattled on Doug, but now, like, again, mm-hmm. he has another opportunity to come clean and take responsibility, and he's not doing that. Like, I just... Well, and we'll get to that, because that's exactly what okay. happened. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't talked right, about right. yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter's in the surgery, and she doesn't do well, and they work on her. She ends up living, but they think that her prognosis is really poor, and that she's probably not going to live. So, he approaches the husband to let him know what happened and that she's on antibiotics, but like, it doesn't look good. And her husband is like, how could this have happened? Like, why was this girl who's not even a doctor examining my wife? Why wasn't there a real doctor to examine her? And Peter doesn't come clean initially. And he kind of is like, a doctor did see him, did see her. Um, she was discharged home. Now he's starting to understand it from Doug's perspective and why Doug didn't want to say totally. anything. Totally. So Peter confronts Jeannie about it because he's still kind of not really accepting it. And we can insert a clip here about what how the conversation went. Along the filling up with fluid, I have to put in a swan. Who is she? She might not make it. God. How could you miss the signs of appendicitis? Perimbilical pain localizing to the right. She told me the pain was diffuse. Did you check for rebounding guard? I told you I did. Well, I'm asking you if you actually did. Yes. And if you had any doubts, you should have examined her yourself. Well, I trusted you to do that. You know how difficult appendicitis is to diagnose. I asked you if you wanted to see her, and you said... So, you know, we can clearly see that Peter should have examined her, like, full stop. Absolutely. He should have gone over and seen her. He ends up telling the husband that he made the error and that it was him who examined her or him who didn't examine her when he should have. Um, And he comes clean, which was great. But hopefully he now, like you talked about, understands that he shouldn't judge people because he was put in that position and he didn't do it either. I was like, ah, Peter, (laughs) like... One, you gotta be either on one way or the other, right? Like, you can't straddle this line of, like, I'm not gonna take responsibility for my own shit. Let other, I'll make sure other people are taking responsibility for theirs. Like, yeah, it's just, I am glad he came clean in the end. Like, yes, those are good things. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad he came clean in the end, but it's like, okay, it took you a long time and a lot of, like, like, maybe damaging some of your reputation. Totally, totally. To get there. So Carter gets to scrub in another surgery. He identifies an appendicitis. And he's very excited that he gets to scrub in and has some more competition with Dale. He feels really cool and macho. And um, turns out (laughs) 
it wasn't an appendectomy, but a toothpick in the bowel. Um, <laughs> so, so that kind of sucks for Carter because he doesn't get to actually do the procedure. I just wonder, should they not have done some diagnostic imaging on this patient? I feel like it was kind of a bit hasty. Yeah, I agree. Like, I do think that in the past, though, they did a lot more procedures just, like, based yeah. off of clinical findings. But, right. yeah, like, these days, there's no way a general surgeon would take somebody into the OR without imaging. Like, yeah. It, there's just no way, right? Like, even when you know that something's going on, they're like, did you get a CT? Yeah. Like, no, like, we know that this is what's happening. Well, yeah. we're not going to do anything until you get a CT. Like, it's just, yeah. So I'm kind of surprised, too, especially in this case, because it, like, wasn't necessarily, like, super obvious it was an appendicitis. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But and I mean, they needed to take that toothpick out anyway. That was gonna yeah, not true. be a good he situation. Needed the surgery so. anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. So after the surgery, Carter expresses his concern that he still hasn't performed an appendectomy, um, and he hasn't performed like certain surgeries. And Doctor Hicks is like, "Yeah, that is concerning." And we can probably insert a clip here because the conversation is interesting. The appendix that wasn't. Well, there'll be plenty more ahead of you. I wish I had at least one behind me. It is cause for concern, what with the pyramid system. Pyramid system? From now on, all surgical interns will be ranked. Those who fall in the lower third won't be asked back a second year. So basically, he realizes that he may not be able to return to the program because if he falls within a certain level or category, he'll be eliminated, basically. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. It's like, really intense because I find I this know. really strange that they haven't been trying to get him in on surgeries. Like they've literally been holding him back from doing surgeries. Right, right. Like Benton and won't I just let him. Absolutely. And I don't know that this is like if this is a real situation in the States. Yeah. Um, where they like have to hit a certain number of procedures. I don't even know if it's a like a thing in Canada either because I don't deal with surgical residents a ton yeah um, and how their program works but uh but yeah I don't know it seems like a little bit ridiculous that you have to hit a certain number of surgeries like or it, really it's like on a curve right like beating other people's numbers which is seems kind of wild but very yeah. wild yeah it's a little bit yeah. archaic because I, well, yeah, it's all dependent on so many things. Yeah, like what comes into the department even. And like, and then also it depends on your program, right? Like, because yeah. every program is going to be a little bit different in what they feel comfortable with having med students do or residents do, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird to me. Agreed. That, Very weird. That's the criteria. Yes. And it just fosters a bad environment of competitive, like, yes. of this competitive world. I don't know. Absolutely. Anyway. It's very odd. Yeah. But basically, yeah. stakes are high. So we'll see how things go. Um, so Susan, the, the saga between Dr. Weaver or Carrie Weaver and Susan kind of continues in a roundabout way in this story. But... Susan has this difficult patient and she is having a heart attack um, or at least is showing signs of, of ACS, acute coronary syndrome. And they see changes on her ECG. 
and the patient will not listen to Susan and she's like screaming at Susan. Susan is trying to explain what's happening. The patient just does not understand what is going on and is yelling and it's just going so poorly. And Susan is starting to escalate and get very frustrated. And so she ends up walking away from the patient to like cool down and she just, like she just does something else. And Dr. Weaver has somehow found out about this probably from the yelling. And Susan walks by and it's just so, so ridiculous. Dr. Weaver has <laughs> taken out a whiteboard and brought it into like a massive whiteboard and brought it into the patient's room. And she's got these drawings on this whiteboard to explain the ECG and what is happening to this patient. I think I saw on the drawing board, she wouldn't even be like showing her about axis, which is something like, we measure, but it's, you yeah. know, like access deviation is not something we explain to patients. It's not something you need to explain. Well, it's way too complicated. Yeah, it's way to too complex. Just explain. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything, right? Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, and it's like, okay. Like, anyways. So yeah. that's fine. She's explaining the stuff to the patient and the patient is able to listen to Carrie maybe and not Susan. And then Carrie comes out and she like walks after Susan and she's like, you know, Susan, I've noticed that you're inflexible and you're angry and she's criticizing Susan for her work. Meanwhile, Susan is dealing with like all this stuff in her personal life, a sister that has an addiction who's dropped this baby in her life and is now trying to manage being a new parent and also working full-time hours, probably more than full-time hours, and then having this difficult patient. And instead of just, you know, Carrie as a mentor, all she had to have done has been like, you know what, Susan, I'm gonna look after this. I'll do the teaching with the patient. You go do something else. Instead, she takes right. the time to tell Susan that she's inflexible and angry and isn't good at this part of her job. And it, it's just, it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I felt like it was not good leadership. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, and this patient, like, I think we need to put a clip in of this patient because yeah. I was immediately as annoyed as Susan. Yes. Because, like, Susan was trying to explain it, and if the patient just, like, took an extra second to take a deep breath and yeah. listen... Yeah. To what Susan was saying. Yeah. Susan was explaining it very well. She was. It's just that, like, this lady was like, well, what's that? Well, why? Like, yeah. and then, like, why do you think that? And then Susan would explain everything, and she's like, I don't understand. Explain it again. Uh, <laughs> just it like, was so oh my God. <laughs> we'll play it. Let's play it. Yeah, we got to play a clip because yeah. it is wild. This patient is so irritating. <laughs> like... And then after that, we should also play the clip of Weaver telling Susan. Okay, yes. How yes. she's inflexible and whatever she says. Because it was so not unnecessary. Mrs. Garvey, I understand you're having chest pain. Where the hell have you been? And irritability. I've been waiting so long. The pains have gone away. She just got here. I'm burning with fever. Temps normal. Oh, sure. After sitting in your drafty waiting room. Your pain's gone? Ugh. It's coming back. Okay, let's get that EKG. What's that? It monitors the electrical activity of your heart. How? The leads carry impulses from your heart to the monitor where we can read them. I don't understand. Explain it again. 
We just want to make sure that you're okay. Don't patronize me. You doctors are all the same. I came in here for stitches. I had to come back five times, and my leg's never been the same. This place is filthy. Mrs. Garvey, your EKG is abnormal. We're going to have to draw some blood. Why? Check your cardiac enzymes. What are those? Elements in your blood that'll tell us if you've had a heart attack. I don't understand. Explain it again. Susan! Yes, Carrie? One of the nurses alerted me that Ethel was about to sign out AMA, which in her condition might well have killed her. I thought it best to indulge her in order to save her life. Good thinking. I know it's frustrating dealing with difficult patients, but you have a tendency to become anger-locked and inflexible. Thank you for pointing that out. If you feel yourself getting dug in, just call me. I'm here to help. Like, I think that as a leader, Carrie could have a little bit of compassion for Susan in this scenario. Yeah, or even, like, if you wanted to have a conversation about, like, the teaching and, like, maybe Susan could have taken a little bit of extra time to try to talk to this patient. But then, like, this is not the way to go about that conversation. Like, she's like, you're inflexible and rude and mean. Like, that's not a way to talk about it. Like, just be like, hey, you know, I know that you're really stressed. I know things are going on at home. Like, and I'm really sorry but, like, maybe in the future, like, if you don't mind, like, either just grabbing me because I have no problem taking the time to, like, yeah. try to explain something to a difficult patient or deal with a difficult patient for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, just how can I help you more than you're terrible at your job? Like, yeah. this is not. And it just yeah. doesn't help that it seems that Carrie is always on Susan's case about very minuscule things. Yes. And so it's yeah, like she kind of yeah. takes any opportunity to criticize her. And that's not yeah. how you make someone that's not how you build a nice working environment. Absolutely. Yeah. So then Doug and Mark sort of had an upsetting conversation that I think was supposed to be funny that you know Doug it was thought it was funny but Mark discloses some vulnerable information to Doug that he met Jen when they were 16 and he's always been faithful to her implying that he hasn't been with anybody else but Jen and Doug straight up like laughs in his face about this yeah ouch and it was like dude (laughs) like like, what do you I just felt like that was so mean to do to Mark totally like Mark is like being vulnerable he's like worried about what to do like that he's not gonna be able to please another woman that like whatever and yeah and then Doug just laughs what a jerk yeah and just Uh, walks away not cool no no so then the Susan um we carry on with Susan's story and she goes to a hearing to fight for custody for Susie yeah so they're sitting in front of a judge um and she's hearing from Chloe and Susan to find out kind of visitation rights for Chloe. And we hear Susan's side of the story. And then we also hear Chloe's side of the story. And I, I mean, in the moment, I was like, man, Chloe has a really good case. I feel like this mm-hmm. is looking good for Chloe. And, you know, I do ultimately think that children should be with their mothers, especially Chloe is, you know, like, she's really committed to her sobriety and she really wants to be a parent to her daughter. And so I think those are good things. 
I, I can see why it's painful for Susan because Susan had to give up so much of her life for the last year and was working long shifts while her sister was kind of off wherever. Well, and so, became like attached to Susie Jr. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. Like she feels like her mother. So yeah. like now it's really unfair to Susan. Yeah. Because she just has to like give her up now and yeah. like send her off into After a life that. that maybe is going to end badly. Right. And then like what if if she relapses and she ends up not being able to care for her, then Susan just has to be there again. Like, exactly. It just sucks for Susan, right? Yes. Like, I agree with you. I do think that kids should be with their parents, but, like, it just blows for Susan. She just gets steamrolled through this whole thing because she, does. she has no say, really. Like, yeah. and she just has to be there in case shit hits the fan. Like, mm-hmm. that sucks. Yeah. And there's a moment that I want to touch on because you kind of said it already, which is what? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. In a good way, like which I find um, it it lends well to what you what you've said was what I mean. Okay, so basically, the judge tells Susan that. So she speaks to Susan privately, and she says like. Basically, Chloe has a really good case. You're not going to win. So it's better if you don't go forward with this because you will lose. Chloe has an amazing case. And I think that probably the state also wants um, wants kids to be with their mothers and especially showing signs of sobriety and progress. Those are all good things. Right. So they have this conversation. The judge ends up granting three nights a week of overnights for Chloe. So that ends up happening. Susan goes to drop Susie off where Chloe's staying, which I think is at their parents' house. And Susan is invited to stay for dinner. And she almost doesn't stay. She ends up staying. She meets Chloe's fiancé, who's a cop. And he they met in the program. He's an alcoholic, nine years sober. And, you know, he also seems like a really, you know, wonderful guy. So I was like, oh, he seems so sweet and they have a nice conversation. But, you know, obviously Susan has looks at the situation differently than they're looking at it. And then this is what I was talking about that sort of lends to what you were saying is they were kind of standing in the kitchen and Chloe says something that just it completely rubbed me the wrong way. So she's baby talking to Susie and she's like, oh, you're so lucky to have an aunt that will always be there. And it's just like, you can really see her mindset that she just takes advantage of Susan all the time. Totally, totally. And takes her so for granted. Yeah. Right? Like, I think it's really mean what she's doing. Yeah. She's like, yeah, you're right. Using her for when I'm not okay, well, it'll be fine because Susan's here. Yeah. It's just really careless. Shitty. And yeah. maybe, you know, maybe this really is where she turns a leaf and turns a leaf where she turns it. What's the phrase? Maybe this is where she changes things for herself. But just that comment, I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know if this is the last that we're going to see. I feel like this is going to be kind of the beginning of a rocky road with their relationship even more. Agreed. I have compassion for both people here like I have compassion for Chloe and that like I really do believe that 
you know, rehabilitation is important and that we should give people a chance to do these things because that's how you heal. Um, but I also just think it's so tough for people on the other end of that, you know, like people like Susan who are in relationships with these people that, you know, they're trying to have compassion for the illness and they're also trying to look after their family member, but also look after themselves so that they totally. are looking after their own mental health. But yeah, right. it's, it's right. got to be difficult. So this sort of last part is about this um, woman who is in the department and she's overseeing these videos. <laughs> so they've set up all this video equipment in the trauma bays to record their codes to critique them so that they can use them as learning tools. It's kind of like SIM, but in real life, they don't use dummies. They're looking at real cases and then seeing what they did well and seeing what they didn't do well. And throughout the episode, Mark and this woman, Iris, are kind of flirting back and forth. And he's like, this is where this insecurity comes from, why he has the conversation with Doug, because he's like thinking about this and unsure of himself. And they're watching back this trauma that Carter does. So I'll, there's two parts to this. So they're watching this code that Carter has done and they, they just drag him through the mud. I felt so bad, but I guess we're not really surprised that Carter is not very good at sterile technique because he wasn't really good at it before. And he wipes his nose (laughs) and then gets the scalpel and it's like, ew super poor form but Carrie just really is unprofessional here and she kind of keeps going back and forth it's like okay all you have to do is just mention like hey this is learning point no need to rewind back and forth to catch the moment and showing it yeah and like roast him in front of everybody and his colleagues like that's not cool yeah I did not like this whole process I just felt like we work so hard to try to create like safe environments for learning that like this is like so unsafe like it makes people feel singled out and like nobody learns in that kind of a situation so yeah I don't think recording is a great idea yeah and watching back right I think it's better to have like what we have is like sims where it's a dummy their created situations and then we have chats about it afterwards and debriefings after to be like yeah what do you think you did well what do you think you could have improved on those kind of scenarios I think you learn a lot from yeah but like yeah just like watching him wipe his nose on his gloved hand like over and over again yeah it's shameful like they're shaming him yeah yeah and that's not how you learn and then also of course like Dale is in the room as well you know, and then she's like, let's watch a more organized code run by Dale. Yes. <laughs> and she like pits people against each other. Totally. Like this is yeah, just textbook, bad. like toxic bullying in the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So Carter feels like absolute shit. Carrie ends up rewinding a little too far back. And what ends up <laughs> getting caught on the recorder or on this like film is the conversation between Doug and Mark where Doug talks about how he couldn't uh, please. He's not sure about his abilities to be with somebody else. And the woman Iris is like sitting right next to Mark when this happens and they're all laughing and it's like, Oh guys, this is, (laughs) 
it's so upsetting. But it doesn't matter in the end because Iris and Mark go out and they go home together. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't have an impact anyways. Didn't bother her, I Didn't guess. bother her. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is kind of a sweet moment. Like, if yeah. you, from, like, a female perspective, just saw that... It, yeah, it's embarrassing for Mark, for everybody to have heard that he's yeah. only had sex with Jen his whole life. But, uh, but yeah, it is kind of, like, endearing a little bit, right? That he's worried about it and, yeah, I don't know. it is, it is, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, it probably maybe gained him a few points in Iris's eyes, maybe. She's like, oh, yeah, sensitive. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Then Harper and Carter, so Carter is out at this little like their date place where they're gonna meet and she shows up and she's not dressed up at all he's like oh you're like you don't want to go and she's like no I don't and he's like okay well why and she's like well it doesn't matter because I'm here to break up with you basically is what she says and he's confused not sure he's understanding and she basically calls him out for being a weasel and making that whole scenario up and getting paged away so that he could get in on surgery. Yeah. It she comes in hot too. Like she is just ready to dump yeah. him and which I kind of am surprised by because they've been together for a fair amount of time. You'd think you'd at least have a yeah. conversation with him like, you know, I really just didn't appreciate appreciate the way that you spent your day today. Like you manipulated me and dale to get what you wanted and like that was not okay it's not like she hasn't seen this behavior already like so maybe they've already had conversations about it i don't know but uh but yeah like i just feel like she just came in so hot and out of nowhere it was like we're done i'm i didn't like the way you behaved this one day and i'm done we're out so yeah yeah it's kind of crazy Well, and who knows? There's probably some other stuff that she was like, no. And then this maybe set Right, this was like the last straw possibly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that happened. So Carter and Harper are officially done. Or so it would seem. Um, So then Shep and Carol are driving home and they're in the ambulance and they stumble upon some guys fighting and... One of them ends up coming over and Shep is kind of egging him on and he ends up smashing through the windshield with some object. And Shep has just finished talking about how he couldn't stop thinking about that child, Jeremy, who saw his mother or who murdered, who accidentally shot his mother. And he's like, that kid's never going to be the same. And, you know, like, it's going to be so awful for him. And you just don't move on from something like that. And he's clearly also referring to his own experience with Raul and how that impacted him, but he's not talking about it specifically, but alluding to it. Once this guy smashes through the windshield, Shep bursts out of the the truck and finds this dude, just throws him to the ground and starts beating the shit out of him. Carol tries to like break it up and she goes over to him and she's like, stop it, stop it. And he kind of, like, postures at her. Yeah. And she's like, whoa, dude. Yeah. I feel like this is the beginning of the end for Shep and Carol. Yeah, and Shep is just not doing well. Yeah, He is basically blaming every patient, it feels like, like, he just, or on the whole Raul thing, right? Like, he just thinks, like, everybody is just, like, a dredge from society, and he just is 
oh my god he just hates all people right now and it's just i don't know yeah 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 and i just think you know he needs some serious help yes he needs like some major counseling and therapy totally because who wouldn't after an experience oh like yeah that? yeah absolutely like he needs to he needs some time away from work he needs like a good leave yeah and yeah i like because honestly if i was him i wouldn't be coming back to work like there's no way i'd be 100%. able to come back um yeah no way so oh yeah it's not looking good for shit for sure no not at all so i don't know yeah i think that they're probably gonna break up that's my prediction for this next little bit i Fair think enough. yeah i think you're probably right i think it's they're not long for this yeah, world, unfortunately, yeah. which is fine because then, you know, she can be with Doug, her rightful There you go. Mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, that's the end of my notes. Do you have anything uh, to add to, to add or end? The I mean, I guess I have like a little quick thing to say. Um, the episode does end with a dedication to Paul Leader. Um, and... I was like, who is Paul Leader? I had to look it up. Uh, so uh, mm -hmm. a very frequent director of ER, Mimi Leader. Um, she also is a co-executive producer. Oh. Uh, her father passed away at the beginning of this month. So he passed away April 6th, 1996. Um, and so a few weeks before this episode was aired. And so they dedicated this episode to him. He passed away from lung cancer. And he also was a actor, producer, and director. So, yeah. Aww. Yeah, that's nice. Kinda nice. So, if anyone was wondering who Paul Leader is, that is who he is. That's yeah. who he is. Well, not nice that he passed away, but nice that they dedicated Yeah, him. she also was the director of a movie called The Peacemaker, which featured uh, George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. I've never seen it, but I kind of want to see it now. Um, it's a 1997 yeah. film, and she also dedicated that film to her dad as well. So kind of nice. That's super yeah. nice. I yeah, like that. that. That's all that I have to add. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Yeah. And... Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review our <laughs> podcast and tell your friends about it and yeah. um, and find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. We have Facebook, but we don't really do much with our Facebook page. It's more Instagram and Twitter that we do more Absolutely. with. And we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Adios. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemes, photography by Ainsley Cardoso-Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at erdebriefedpodcast or now on Twitter at erdebriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again. Thanks again.